Today with Catherine Ruinala. Well, we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer. Now, the disciples, they would watch Jesus and they'd watch him go up the mountain and pray all night and, and then come down and have big revival meetings and everybody get healed. And, and they watched his relationship with the Father. I think about when he stood outside the tomb of Lazarus and he had a conversation with the Father. And he said, Father, I know you hear me, but for the sake of everyone here, I'm just talking to you. You know, basically, he had such a beautiful, confident, intimate relationship with the Father. And the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. I mean, they had the scripted prayers that they had the word, they would pray the word, and it's so powerful, but Jesus had something they hadn't seen before, and that was a relationship with Abba, Daddy God, that they had never experienced, and they wanted in. We want to know how you have that connection. So Lord, teach us to pray, is what they, what they said to him. So he said, all right, when you pray, Pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, there are many people who know the Lord's Prayer. There are many people who don't, who didn't have the privilege of learning it as they grew up. But the Lord's Prayer was never meant to be something that you just rattle off mindlessly and, and think it's some sort of magic formula. It was actually, I believe, a template, an invitation. Jesus was showing them how to pray. So when he says, pray like this, our Father, he was telling them, just as you see me approaching the Father, the same relationship that you see me having with him, you are now invited into. So not only your Father, but my Father, our Father. What a stunning thought, that when you approach our Father, you don't approach him like an orphan trying to twist his arm to get him to do something. You approach him with the on the same sta state as Jesus approached him when he prayed as a man on the earth. That's more exciting than you're reacting. Like, wow. Not like, please, Daddy, hear me if you can hear me. No. Our Father. I know that you hear me. Oh, thank you. Because of Jesus, I can come close. Hooray. Hallelujah. Who is in heaven? And we talked about what the Bible says about heaven. I believe we need to get more and more heavenly minded, more aware of eternity. Because if we had more understanding of eternity, we'd have more understanding of our purpose. We'd have greater joy, greater confidence, because the Bible says that we are seated with him in heavenly places, hallelujah, that he's gone to prepare a place for us, hallelujah. So much in that. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I spoke last week about this, that 
when, you know, some children used to think, I hear children say, oh, hallowed be his name. Hello, hello be your name. That's not what it means. It means to actually set apart as holy, to set apart as unique. So in other words, we come and we respect God. We honor God. We say, Lord, I set you apart as unique, as holy, as the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who made the sunrise today. I give you worship. God, who alone is God, heavenly king, God of glory. Now, we don't just do it um, to be uh, polite or because it's the right thing. I mean, if you were to meet a king or a queen, there are certain things. You don't just go, hey, queen. You, you'd, you'd probably have to bow or say something, say the right words. And if, if they are worthy of, worthy of honor, how much more is the Lord worthy of honor? I mean, I get a little concerned, actually, with some of what I see in the next generation and that when we were growing up, we were always taught to respect our elders, that we wouldn't just call someone older than us by their first name, for example. We'd say Mr. This or Mrs. That. But today, you know, parents will introduce their six-year-olds to me and say, say hello to Catherine. And I'm like, well, I'm okay with that. But what I, what I think is if we are teaching our next generation not to have any sort of tradition of honor, then we're actually limiting their ability to receive from those that they respect or from those that are older than them and receive the wisdom of life experience. Hallelujah. I think I, I travel and I, when, it's, when I'm able to travel, I travel. I go to the south in, in, in America and they're so polite. You know, they're so honoring, and it's always miss, missus, mister, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. And, you know, the men will stand back and let the women go out the doors first, and there's a lot of honor there. Or I travel to Korea, and I watch the way they look after their elderly, the way they respect. They, and many languages around the world use different phrases, even in their, in their language, when referring to people of different um, status. But that seems a bit contrary to Aussie culture that's like everybody's equal and, you know, we are all equal in the sight of God. But when we learn how to honor, we actually posture ourselves to receive honor and to receive from the one that we are honoring. You receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. You receive an older person in the name of an older person and I believe you'll actually receive what God wants to bring through them. The older ones can teach the younger ones, right? Yes. Hallelujah. Anyway, praise the Lord. <laughs> Just having a little rant. <laughs> but I believe the church is meant to set the culture, not to follow the trends. And in the same way, we come to honor God, to respect him, to say, Lord, we hallow your name. But when we hallow his name, when we honor him, what happens is we begin to remember who he is. And suddenly, all the problems seem so small in the light of his glory, in the light of his majesty. You are king over all the earth. So when we come to ask, we're no longer asking as someone distant, praying for something good to happen. 
we're praying from a revelation of how amazing he is and a confidence that this is my daddy. As we honor him, as we hallow his name, hallowed be your name. I, I set you apart as unique. And the more we spend time worshiping, hallowing his name, not as an obligation, but as a delight, the more our eyes light up with the glory of the Lord, the more we're able to manifest the peace and the joy and the power of the kingdom because we've seen the king of the kingdom rightly. Amen? You're very quiet tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallowed be your name. Now, here's where I want to go tonight. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. It's really interesting. After hallowing his name, after approaching him in intimacy, our Father, after thinking about heaven, after glorifying him, we can then start to make decrees from the place that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible actually tells us in Matthew 16, verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That is authority. God didn't call Christians to be timid beggars. He called us to be co-laborers with him, hallelujah. And as we learn how to set him in his rightful place, we'll be filled with a, a, a revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of our understanding being lit up, enlightened in the knowledge of who he is, so that we will know the hope of our calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in us, you and I, the saints, and the greatness of the power toward us who believe. It's the same, it's the same uh, track. Enlightening the eyes of your understanding and the knowledge of him. This is Ephesians 1, by the way, another apostolic prayer I love to pray. Ephesians 1. Enlighten the eyes of my understanding and the knowledge of you so that I will know the hope of my calling. As I see him, honor him, and put him in his rightful place, then I can remember, I can walk in the holy confidence of my calling. I can know the value that I have to him and I can understand the power that has been delegated to me to release on earth. He's given me the keys of the kingdom. So when he decrees it in heaven, he is waiting for us, the keeper of the keys, to come into agreement with heaven and say, your kingdom come to release it on earth. It's a little bit, I, th I think of it like Elisha when he received the mantle of Elijah. What did he do with that mantle? He picked it up and he struck the water and the waters divided. As he struck the water, he said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? He did it with a holy confidence knowing what he had, what he had received. At the gate beautiful, they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. You've got to know what you have. Hallelujah. You've been given the kingdom. Luke chapter 12, verse 32 says, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh. So instead of giving it a go to pray for somebody, 
I'll give it a go. Or I don't really feel it today. God wants us to come back into an awakening where we see him rightly, where we honor him rightly, and we begin to operate in a holy confidence that says, he is the king. I am the keeper of the keys here on the earth, and I say, his kingdom come. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 10, verse 8, whatever city you enter, this is speaking to believers, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. He told them, manifest the healing power of God, the miracle power of God and tell them, this is what the kingdom looks like. We are ambassadors of Christ. And we are not weak or powerless, but praise the Lord, he is our strength and we have the power of Christ dwelling in us and upon us to release to the world around us. It's all about miraculous power. Your kingdom, come. It's not just a nice thought. It's you have something tangible to release, hallelujah. Hi friends. For so many years, I lived with condemnation, frustrated that I didn't fully measure up. Then the Holy Spirit began to reveal the truth that I was loved, set free, and defined by the performance of Jesus, not by my good works. Such a basic truth, but I didn't really understand it. Let me help you fully grasp the goodness of God and how He's designed us to live supernaturally as new creations. Imagine if you were truly supernaturally free from sin and shame, free to follow the desires that God's placed in your heart. In my new book, Supernatural Freedom, I give you simple keys to unlock the freedom that you were designed to live in every day. Your kingdom come, you make it as a decree. And I believe that the Lord is wanting us to open our mouths and start making decrees like the kings and priests he's called us to be. To start declaring when we see difficult circumstances, to start decreeing on earth as it is in heaven. To start making decrees, speaking life, hallelujah. And he says, pray this, pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's saying is, hey, remember, it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. Surrender your will to his. Reckon yourself dead indeed to sin today and alive to God in Christ. Not my will, but yours be done. Thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm, I reckon myself dead indeed to sin. I thank you today. I'm alive to God in Christ, that I am joined to you. You are my head, I am your body, and I have the mind of Christ. Your will be done, hallelujah. But then he also wants us to have a knowledge of his will, hallelujah. As we say, your ways are higher, your thoughts are higher, not my will, but yours be done. Colossians chapter one, verse nine says this. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. It's a prayer I regularly pray. Fill me with the knowledge of your will. 
F.F. Bosworth used to say, faith begins where the will of God is known. It's very hard to pray knowing that the Bible says whatever you ask according to his will you can have if you don't know what his will is. Which is why I'd get so upset at Bible college when, they'd, when a lecturer might suggest that maybe it's not the will of God to heal everybody. Pragmatically, I'd say, well, how am I ever supposed to pray with confidence if I think that maybe this person's one of those cases that God doesn't want to heal? The Bible actually tells us that we can only build our lives on the rock. Who is the rock? Jesus Christ. And so if you can't find it in the life of Jesus, you can't build on it. So is there anywhere in the Bible that Jesus says to somebody, it's not my will to heal you? No. In fact, is there anybody that comes to Jesus asking for healing that he doesn't heal? No, not one example. Everyone that came to him was healed. That's because the Son of God came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, that we might have life and life more abundant. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. Is there sickness and death in heaven? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. God is wanting to awaken his people to a fresh and holy confidence that this is the will of God. It's, it's easy to get discouraged when you don't see things happen. If, if you've, you've prayed and something doesn't seem to have happened or that person didn't get healed, it's so easy to get discouraged and to back away from it. But the Bible says, we need to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you don't quit, you win. Where else are you gonna go? He alone has the words of life. If you stop praying for the will of God to be done in, his, in people's lives, it's not going to, things aren't gonna get easier and better for you. The enemy will still keep coming. He will still attack. But God wants us to occupy the ground, hallelujah, to start to come in holy confidence and to preach the gospel, not with persuasive words of men's wisdom, but with demonstrations of the Spirit's power, hallelujah. And not out of our own strength, but out of a knowledge, hallowed be his name. His is the kingdom. He is the king. And he has given us, by his great grace, the keys of the kingdom. Not because we've earned it. Not because we deserve it, but because he is our father. And it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Such as I have. What do you have in your hand? What have you got? What has been given to you? Well, I haven't been given very much. You've been given the kingdom. The keys of the, well, I don't feel very gifted. I don't feel, you know, very um, special or I, I don't feel like I've got great gifts. You've got the kingdom of God. You've got the son of the living God. What more do you want? Christ in you is not dreaming of surviving through this next season. 
Well, if we can just keep them alive, if we can just survive. Jesus in you isn't dreaming of a little life. Christ in you is dreaming of manifesting his glory through you. He is dreaming to, of doing things that are exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask, hope, or imagine. And the eyes of your understanding will only be lit up to begin to receive what God wants to birth and conceive through you as you behold his glory, as you seek his face, as you seek to know him, seek the kingdom first. I wanna know what the kingdom's like. You wanna know what the kingdom's like? Study the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, all the way through. Study the life of Jesus. He will show you what the kingdom looks like. As you seek that kingdom, seek to know it, all these things will be added to you. God wants to take you from having your head hanging down and your discouragement to being one whose eyes are lifted up and that who is able to walk in supernatural peace, supernatural joy, hallelujah, divine, holy confidence that when you walk into a situation, you aren't walking in with the attitude or the mindset of a mere human, but you are walking in as one who's thinking to yourself, if they only knew who had just walked in. You think, well, that sounds arrogant. Jesus said this to the woman at the well. He said, if you only knew who you were talking to. You might think, well, that sounds really arrogant. No, he had a confidence that he was like, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water because he knew he had something to give. Do you know you have something to give? God wants to reveal it to you. You have something to give. When you pray, the effective and a fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you believed that, you'd pray more. If you believed that as these signs will follow those who believe, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover, you'd be laying hands more on the sick. I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to stir us out of complacency, to take us to a new level of revelation. Yes. You know, in the days past, um, years and years past, people struggled to be saved. They were like, I don't know if I'm saved, I don't know if I'm saved. And the revelation of justification by faith came through. And today we have this understanding, by grace we're saved through faith. Hallelujah, by the grace of God, I can repent of my sin and receive the mercy of God without earning it, but by humbly receiving what I can have no part in earning and I can have confidence and boldness on the day of judgment because as he is, so am I in this world. That revelation now is widespread through the body of Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that is widespread and understood. Why not the miracle power, the healing power of God be a normal part of church in the next generation? Why not have it as the natural, normal things that Christians do? 
It's time, but it won't happen unless we rise up and take a hold of the mantle that's been given to us. You and I haven't been given Elijah's mantle. Elisha said, I want a double portion of your mantle, Elijah. And he said, well, if you see me go up, you can have it. And he kept his eyes on him. He wouldn't be dissuaded. He had lots of opportunities to be dissuaded. Stay here, Elisha, I'm just going over here. Oh no, I'm coming with you. Well, just, just stay here with the prophets. You'll be right over there. And I'm just gonna go over here. Elisha says, ah, 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 I'm coming with you. I'm not taking my eyes off you. And the prophets would say, do you know your master's gonna be taken today? Elisha would say, I know, shh. I'm just keeping my eyes on him. Don't talk to me, I'm, I'm, I don't wanna get distracted. And he kept his eyes on him until he was taken up in a whirlwind of fire and a chariot. And he says, the chariots of heaven, my master. And suddenly the mantle fell down as he went up in the chariot and he picked it up. And you know when he picked it up? He picked it up knowing I've got what I asked for. Not only will I do the works of Elijah, but greater works, a double portion. And the Bible goes on to record that Elisha did double the number of recorded miracles that Elijah did. But you know, when Jesus was taken up to heaven, he told us that the same works that you see me do and greater will you do. It's time to pick up the mantle of Christ to begin to hold it in our hand and to get develop a holy confidence that says, such as I have, your kingdom come. Your will be done. I know what your will is. That's why we study the word of God. It's all in here. He shows us the truth of who he is and he wants us to manifest it on earth as it is in heaven. Knowing his will, then we can go on and we can ask, knowing that we are effective in our prayers because we've understood the will of God. We've understood who he is. We've understood his majesty and his glory and his power. Yeah. 